living room is carpet, and I want to tear it up. All right. All right. Come on in. Come on in. We're ready to get started. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Everett's doing great. He's good. Hey, I wanted to welcome you guys. If you are visiting with us uh, here at Holly Springs, you hopefully got a bulletin on your way in. In that bulletin is a, a small part that you could fill out for us and drop it in the um, offering boxes on your way out. We are not passing a plate right now, so if you have something, there are boxes located in the back, and there's a box located out in the, the info area as well. I wanted to also share, we got back yesterday from uh, kids camp and had an incredible time at Piney Woods. We had 31 kids go with us, and we had one uh, KK that accepted the Lord, and we are super excited. We want to praise the Lord for that. Yes, yeah, there's our, we're doing the wave across the, the sanctuary, right? So we are super excited for KK and her decision to follow the Lord, and we know that the Lord is going to have great things in store for her. And so as a church, we also obviously want to celebrate that, but we want to walk alongside her and just begin the process of discipling her in this, in this uh, incredible time as well. So I hope you're ready for a great time of worship this morning. As you can see, some things are continuing to progress with the sanctuary, and the Lord has been so gracious to us to allow us to, to do the work kind of during the week and stay in here. And so... Um, let me just, I got to point out two people really quick. Um, Greg Hudson has helped us do a lot of this, a lot of the incredible work in here. And, and so as soon as the flooring gets in, uh, the rest of the flooring, we're going to hopefully finish this. Uh, but also Gary Nolan uh, has been, worked a lot this past week on these panels and getting them sanded and, and getting them ready for, for paint and that kind of stuff. And so uh, I'll just kind of continue to point out people there's a list of people that have done so much in helping us with this project from providing food to uh, literally sweating and um, some blood. So not a lot, but it's been incredible. Yeah, thank you guys so much. So we are getting there. And Lord willing, we'll be done in the next few weeks and have a great celebration as we dedicate this place. And uh, here's the thing. We don't have to have a, a specific service to dedicate this place to the Lord. Uh, this place is already the Lord's, right? And this morning with, with Jason and Christina, I don't know about you, but my heart is excited to come before the Lord through song and just, I'll probably stand, but just stand before him, maybe sit before him and sing praises to our almighty God. And so if you came this morning for anything else other than to worship and praise the Lord or to get into Scripture, man, I hope in the next few moments your heart begins to shift and begins to change and become in tune with what the Lord has for you this morning because it's going to be good. So as we do this, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jason. God, you're so good. Thank you for what has happened this past week. Lord, we we celebrate and rejoice for KK's decision to follow you. 
Lord, as your spirit begins to move in her life and, and transform her, Lord, may she continue to understand the process that she has gone from, from spiritual death to spiritual life. And this morning as we sing, may we rejoice in that. Lord, you're doing so many incredible things, not just in the lives of these in this church, but in the lives of, of others across our city, across our state, across our nation. God, would your movement, would your, um, would your love just continue to be spread? May I be part of the catalyst that sees your name known among the nations. Lord, as we sing this morning, God, draw us into your presence. Allow us to enter the throne of grace with confidence. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand. Let's sing all things bright. things bright and beautiful you are all things wise and wonderful you are in my darkest night you brighten up the skies a song will rise sing this in time Sing a song of hope, sing along. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down. Just to know that you are near is enough. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down. All things new, all things new, I can start again, Creator God, calling me your friend, sing praise my soul, to the maker of the skies, a song sing this together, hallelujah.
sing song of hope, sing along. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down. Just to know that you are near is enough. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down. Oh, sing a song of hope, sing along. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down. Just to know you and be loved is enough. God of heaven, come down, heaven, come down.
Well, we're going to introduce a new song uh, this morning, and I just want to preface it by saying a few things. You know, we live in a broken world, and this world says that it promises life, and it promises joy and fulfillment, and, um, but ultimately, we know that this world is just filled with guilt and shame, uh, fear, but for us as Christians, we know that one day is coming where that won't be the case. And, um, and that's the moment that we see Jesus face to face. We're sitting at his feet. And scripture describes that moment as the marriage supper of the Lamb. That we will sit down and we will feast with Jesus. And, but we know that that moment is not about the food. You know, it's not about us um, eating. But that picture is painted to tell us something, that that moment is going to be filled with unity with Jesus, and it's going to be filled with peace. It's going to be filled with love and joy, and those are things that this world cannot promise us. It tries to promise us, but that cannot be fulfilled here. And so... I want this song to be a staple for us, and I, when we sing it, I want us to look forward to the future because us as Christians, that's what we look to. We don't look to the here and now, for this will fade away eventually. But we have a living hope in Jesus, and one day it will be fulfilled. And so let's sing this, We Will Feast.
Christians, as believers, as sons and daughters of you, to look forward to that day and to not live in fear or guilt or shame, God, but help us to know that you have overcome everything and in you we can find rest, we can find peace and joy. And God, this morning as we open up your scripture, I pray that those things come alive to us today and they're things that we can actually experience not just talk about. God, you have that readily available to us today. And so, God, I pray that we can walk in grace and truth and just look to you as our guide. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So good to see all of you this morning. So good to be able to worship. We look forward to the renovation being completed here in the next few weeks, and we'll be able to put the piano and the drums and everything back on the stage again and be able to worship. What a great joy that will be. Uh, I was thinking about when we were singing that song, uh, Baptists, if we know one thing, we know how to feast and uh, we know how to eat. And it's going to be a great day when we get to be there with the Lord in heaven and celebrate. And like Jason said, it won't be about the food at all. It's about being with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you have your Bibles, will you take them and turn to Acts, the fifth chapter? We're continuing our sermon series on countering the culture. If you can believe it, this is week 10. I want to thank you for being so faithful over the summer and uh, being here in attendance. We've kept our attendance strong over the summer, and I'm just thankful for you and for you being faithful. I know that you are tiring, probably, of me going and going on, uh, and I've done this 10 weeks in a row now, 
So next Sunday, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to let Gary preach next Sunday. I'm going to be out of town, just like so many of you have been faithful when you're here, but you've taken a week or two of vacation next week. Laura and I have a chance to be with our family and have a family reunion up in the McKinney area over the 4th holiday. And so we're going to leave Thursday and come back on Monday. So I appreciate you being kind and allowing me to do that. And also, I know you'll enjoy hearing a different voice. I also know that next Sunday is July the 4th. I'm not unaware of that. Uh, if you're in town, I hope that you will be faithful and still come to worship. Laura and I plan on worshiping next Sunday, if we can, up in McKinney at uh, my son's church, where they go to church. We'll go to a service there. We won't have connect groups next Sunday. We'll just have one worship service here at 10 in the morning. So if you can help us spread that word. But if you're in town, come here, Gary. Share faithfully like he does every time. We've already scheduled Clint to preach in August. So you'll get to hear Clint preach again. Uh, for my birthday over this past week, I didn't know it, but Laura has scheduled a vacation for our family uh, to go. It's so appropriate for my 65th birthday. We're going to Branson, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's like the final stamp of you are old, and uh, we're going to go to Branson and watch shows like old people do, I guess. So uh, anyhow, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. We're also going to do some young people things like play golf and do some of that kind of stuff. So that's in August. I'm already looking forward to that, and Clint's going to preach that Sunday. So I know that's a long ways away, but I just kind of wanted to catch you up on kind of some of the fun stuff that's happening in the summer and we have a whole lot of other things too that you'll be able to see over the next few weeks that are coming that will be great things in the life of Holly Springs. So pay attention. It's going to be a great summer and it'll be over before you know it. So here we go. Sermon 10, Countering the Culture. Let me just kind of run you through some things real quick. You know, we're, we're not going to let the world squeeze us into its mold. We're going to speak the truth in love. Uh, we've kind of fought back against moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, it's incredibly important for us to practice being godly parents, godly fathers, godly moms. We've talked about several of those in the sermons. We talked about the truth of the Bible, how it's truth without any mixture of error, and, and just so many of those different things as we've gotten to this point. And now we're going to share a sermon or two. I haven't decided yet whether this is the final stamp or one more. I really think that there may be one more involved. I think I want to talk about a church in Revelations, the church of Smyrna, uh, because I think it kind of uh, pictures what we are today. I don't know if you know much about the church in Smyrna uh, that's mentioned in the book of Revelations, but uh, uh, John talks about this church, and he talks about how this church was a good church. In fact, in, in, there are seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelations, and in two of those churches, the, the church of Smyrna being one of them, he doesn't admonish them for anything. He basically says, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. And, and you're being the kind of church I want you to be. But then he goes on and says, and guess what? You're getting ready to suffer like nobody's suffered before. And that just overwhelmingly hit home with me as I was looking at kind of how do I want to wrap up uh, this sermon series. You know, we're not perfect. I, you know, I'd be the first to admit, and you would be too, that Holly Springs is certainly not a perfect church, and really there are no perfect churches. You know, 
the, the old saying that if you, you know, aren't happy with your church and you're looking for a perfect church, then you need to leave the church. It would be a little bit more perfect if you left. And that's kind of what I sense about us. You know, we've got a lot of imperfect people here. In fact, one of the favorite things that Laura and I share when they ask about Holly Springs, I say it's a lot of imperfect people who admit that they're imperfect. And I like that. I like the fact that we're the kind of people that just admit that we're not perfect people, but we're trying to be more like Christ every day and living out that life. I really think that's what the Church of Smyrna was doing. And, and in that book of Revelation, John grabs that church and says, by the way, let me point out something to you. I, I, you're doing a lot of things right. You're doing some things that are incredibly good for the kingdom, but you're getting ready to suffer incredibly. Uh, because you're believers. And I just thought, man, that's kind of where we are. I feel like that's where we are, and I feel that would be a good place for us to close out this sermon series. So maybe one more after we get back after the fourth and after Gary shares with you. So before we look today, let me share with you a couple of things that I found in in, uh, my studying like I do every Sunday with you. Uh, Both of these examples are kind of themed around um, America. Uh, As we head into the 4th and as we prepare to celebrate uh, our freedom, uh, I want to point out a couple of things to you. One is that our country is in decline. That's no secret to you. I I know you understand that. Uh, But I also want to make sure that you hear me say this correctly, which is we don't come here on Sunday uh, to celebrate and worship America. We come on Sunday to celebrate and worship who Jesus Christ is in our lives. That's what we're here for. Uh, Having said that, I love our country. And I love what we stand for. And I love the freedom that we have to be able to come and worship together. And there is a direct correlation, I believe, and I believe that most of you would believe this too, into what's happening with America and how it's affecting us as believers. And we are, and hear me say this, uh, say this in sadness, but we are a, a stone's throw away from being like Canada and Europe in, in the declining countries that we know that are taking religion and just pushing it to the side. And I know Europe's not a country. I know Europe's a continent. So forgive me for saying that Europe was a country, but the countries that are in Europe that are declining, that's what I meant to say. I always get trap talking about I've been to Africa like it's some country and Africa is a continent it's humongous and it's got lots of countries in it so having said that let me share with you a couple of things a year after pride flags were banned from being displayed at the U.S. embassies the State Department for the first time is going to raise the pride flag outside its building in Washington on this Friday before the 4th of July And they're going to celebrate it all through the weekend. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced earlier this week that the agency would display the flag to close out Pride Month, describing it as a symbol that encompasses the diversity and intersectionality of the LGBTQI persons in the communities in the world in our United States. One more. I don't know if you heard this, but MX, and this is BMX, so this is bicycle uh, freestyle, BMX, in case you're unfamiliar with that term. 
BMX freestyle Olympian Chelsea Wolf said it was her goal to win a medal in the Tokyo Olympics so she could stand on the podium and burn the U.S. flag. My goal is to win the Olympics, she said, so I can burn the U.S. flag on the podium. This is what they focus on during a pandemic, hurting trans children, Wolf said in a Facebook post in response to a story about the Trump administration's stance on transgender participation in female sports. Wolf is a transgender woman, has since deleted the post, but she may still have the opportunity to medal in the Olympics. The BMX rider has qualified as an alternate for the Olympics and an accomplishment Wolf in part credited to people who helped me accept that I am a woman. I searched for so long trying to find out if there had ever been a professional trans BMX rider to show me that who I am would be okay and unfortunately I found no one. Wolf wrote in an Instagram post. Eventually, I started to meet some amazing women who helped me to accept that I am a woman just like any other woman, and I deserve a place to exist in the world just like everyone else does. Despite her rhetoric about the flag, Wolf says she still cares about our country. Anyone who thinks I don't care about the United States is sorely mistaken. One of the reasons why I work so hard to represent the United States, United States in international competition is to show the world that this country has morals and values. That, does that not come across kind of weird to you? The country has morals and values, but I'm going to burn the flag. That it's not about all the bad things that we're known for. I take a, here's, this just kills me. I take a stand against fascism because I care about this country, and I'm not going to let it fall into the hand of fascists. After so many people have fought and sacrificed to prevent fascism from taking hold abroad. As a citizen who wants to be proud of my home country, I'm sure as H-E-L-L, not going to let it take hold here. I plan on burning a flag if I win a medal. So I, I wanted to share that with you because I really have this sense that as America begins to trend downward and we begin to struggle with how the culture is influencing us, everything's going to change for us as Christians. Please hear me say that. Uh, I think, and I'll share with you, this with you in, in just a little more understanding here as I work through my sermon, but I, I think everything's getting ready to change for us. We have experienced so much freedom to be able to be believers in our country and be able to say what we want, believe what we believe, and, and, and teach what we want to teach. And I think as America trends this way, uh, we're going to be told to shut up and to keep our mouths closed. And we're going to be told what we can say and what we can't say. And if you don't believe that's true, it's already happening in Canada and it's already happening in, in other countries. And it's trending that way for us. That's why I want to share with you what I want to share with you this morning. So you've turned to Acts 5, hold your place there. We're going to go there, but right before we go there, let me share with you that what we face now is what is being called a post-truth culture. 
So let me help define that for you in case you have never heard of the terminology post-truth culture. It, that may be a new term for you. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively new term. It came about in 2016. And what it does is it follows the postmodern era which occurred in the 1980s and the 1990s. Postmodern era is best described as kind of being skeptical of everything. So in the 80s and 90s, young adults were kind of skeptical of everything. And, and if you uh, were alive in those times, uh, which most of you, I, I feel like, even though you may have been young, were alive in the 80s and 90s, and, I graduated high school in the 70s and we moved into the postmodern era in the 80s and 90s and that is kind of my generation and my generation kind of turned toward being skeptical of everything. The post-truth era is a time frame that we are living in now and this will make sense to you when I kind of define it for you. It's, it's more political in nature, you know that, and you know that we've kind of all turned into uh, political beings, kind of arguing and making politics about everything. So in, in the, the Webster Dictionary or the Oxford Dictionary, it's defined, the post-truth area is defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion then appeals to emotion and personal belief. So think of things kind of politically and think how emotional you get when you hear these things. Let me give you a few terms. If I say the words health care for all, you don't think about, okay, is that truth? Is that, is that good? Is, is that bad? Uh, if, if you were to objectively think about it, you would probably say, well, health care for everybody would be a good thing. I, I would like to see everybody have health care. You, you know, if you have a heart, you would want to see everybody have health care. But we don't think like that anymore, and, and you have to be careful when you're listening to me because I'm not a believer in the fact that everybody ought to get everything for free or anything like that. So, but the problem is I'm having to say that to you now. Because we live in the post-truth era, and, and what happens is you're, you're basing everything that you're listening to off of emotions and, and personal belief. For instance, if I say the word open borders, you know, everybody goes, whoa. And I get it. I do that same thing, too. If I say the word Planned Parenthood, I mean, Planned Parenthood, the, the name sounds good, but we know what the truth is. But your emotions and your politics get all involved too. If I say the word just like we were describing about a minute ago, if I say the word to you, transgender sports. I mean, I coach, I, I was thinking about, you know, you know I, I just can't imagine being on a basketball team where a girl wants to play with me, or I can't imagine girls being on a basketball team. I mean, to a certain extent, I'd, I mean, just, just being stupid, but, you know, I'd like to go back 40 years and play on the girls' basketball team. I might have been a superstar on the girls' basketball team, you know, but it's just kind of crazy. But when I say that thing, we get all emotional and we get all involved with our personal beliefs. And we could go on and go, I could say gun control, and everybody in East Texas, Holly Springs, would go, whoa, you know, and I get that. 
It goes on and on. Now, take that, take that what I've, I've just kind of shared with you about this post-truth culture that we live in and apply that same thing to Christianity. In, instead of using facts anymore, instead of using what Scripture teaches anymore, non-Christians and even those who claim to be Christians say what they want to be true and what their emotions tell them and they take out the truth of what Jesus said and what the scripture teaches. And that's where we are right now. So everything that we know to be truth that we've already talked about that if you're a believer you have to put your concrete foot into this word and say from cover to cover it's truth but yet in the post-truth world people who say they're believers and even for sure those who are non-believers say well you can just kind of pick and choose what you want and on top of that I'm just going to let my emotions get involved and you know adultery is really not that big of a deal anymore or living together before you get married is really not that big of a deal anymore. It, it, come on. We, we've changed. Society has changed. We've matured. And what's happened is you see all your emotions get involved. And then you begin to define to God and to Jesus Christ what truth is instead of taking truth and putting it here and applying it to your life. Does that make sense? You kind of see where we are right now in the world? So having said that, let me share with you out of Acts 5, and, and let me show you what's going on here in Scripture. So this is Paul. Jesus has been crucified, and now the, the disciples and the apostles are, are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world, and they're being persecuted for it. Look at verse 27, Acts 5, 27. Bear with me as I read a few scriptures to you as we kind of go through some of this. It says, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now, you can have some fun, kind of like I had this weekend, uh, if you want to, or this past week, uh, and kind of project what you see here in scripture as to you and to me maybe 20 years from now or 30 years from now, maybe not so much me, probably be gone to be with the Lord. Some of you will be in that same situation too, but let's project this onto the Garys and the Clints and the Jasons and all you guys that are in your 40s in the world that maybe are approaching 60 or 70. And I know what you're thinking. I kind of think the same thing too. I want to believe the same thing, that this surely wouldn't happen. Surely not in the country we live in, not in, in, in the freedom that we have right now, but I, I want to remind you that Things are changing. And, you know, 20 or, or 30 years ago, I would have never believed that I'd have been sitting in my desk working on a computer, typing out my sermons and printing them out on a printer. Uh, I just, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I would have never dreamed that's possible. And yet, that's what I do every week. Same for you, too. Well, look at what's happening here. So what happens if you look at verse 27 and it says, having brought the, the believers, Gary, Jason, Clint, and, and some of the rest of y'all, and they made them appear before the court in Nacogdoches to be questioned by the, the judge. Now, that all 
I know what you're thinking. That all sounds made up. And it is. I mean, I'm just making that up. But I think this passage is in here to help us understand that our lives are, are going to be different one day. And we're not always going to have what we have right now. Listen to what it says in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So again, you know, what happens if you, it changes and it's the judge in Nacogdoches says, we gave you strict orders not to preach this stuff at Holly Springs. Yet you have filled up Garrison and Nacogdoches and Central Heights with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of the blood of Jesus. And then verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, so is this Gary, is this Jason, is this Clint, is this you guys? Sure, I, I mean, that's our prayer. Is it me? I want it to be. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead who you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit to whom God has given to those who obey him. Can you imagine yourself standing in front of a judge one day and saying, I know what you're telling me, but this is what I believe and I want to lay it out for you word for word and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. You think anybody's ever going to be furious with you for believing Jesus and believing what Jesus teaches? Man, if you don't see that already happening right now, there are people that are extremely upset with believers because of what we believe in right now. Anyhow, so you, you see this, when they heard this, they were furious, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So they took the, the, those men away and, and put them outside, and then he addressed them, and he said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it was from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Boy. Does that not just stoke the fire inside your heart that there's going to be come a time where we're going to have to fight the battle and some of us are going to lose our lives, but the key here is when we lose our lives, it just fans the flame of Jesus Christ being spread around the world. That's what I want for you and that's what I want for me. Listen, this scripture, after Paul met with Jesus, it would have been far safer for him to keep quiet about his new faith. But he was willing to undergo unspeakable suffering from the opponents of the gospel, rather to cease preaching to him. 
I don't, you can turn there if you want. I was going to say you don't need to turn there. But in, in 2 Corinthians, the, the 11th chapter, listen to this. This is, it starts with verse 16, and it's Paul, and it, it talks about he's boasting about his suffering. I don't know that that's a fair description of what's going on here with Paul. But Paul's kind of frustrated with people and what they're boasting about and some of the things that are going on in their life. And so he comes to this part and listen to what he says. He's talking about what he's having to suffer for being a servant of Christ. And listen to how it starts in verse 23. This is 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? He's asking about people who are, are kind of bragging uh, about what they're doing for Christ. And he says, well, if they are, I'm more, listen to this, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've constantly been on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone on without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly bone? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever. <laughs> You, sometimes we walk in here and go, the air conditioner's not working. What is up with that? You know, uh, Gary and I had this conversation when we walked in early this morning. The, the saw was over here and, and the lift was over there and those chairs were out over there. And he said, we need to put those things up. I said, no, we don't. I mean, I'm not mad. I know Gary's trying to do well and I know he's trying to help, but we're remodeling. It's okay. You guys can live in, with a lift out. You know? It's going to be okay. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Now, if I said, let's line up and get lashes, we would all kind of go, whoa, wait a second. I get that. I would not be in the front of the line. I'm, I'm, I understand that. But we, we have got to get an understanding of what reality really is. Listen, <clears throat> this is a statement that is going to hit home with you, and I'm looking at the clock, and I know i got 10 minutes left, so listen fast, because I'm getting ready to move fast. Peace with God means conflict with the world. If, if you're going to be at peace with Jesus Christ, you're going to be at conflict with the world. That's just all there is to it. In a culture where there are so many convinced that their truth is the truth, it takes genuine courage to speak the truth that others don't want to hear. But such courage is what it takes and what it means to follow Jesus in a fallen world. Listen, our world is changing and the end is coming. It's not if the end is coming, but it's when the end is coming. And I don't know. You can ask me now. You can ask me 
20 minutes from now, you can ask me 20 years from now if we're still around. When's the end of the world coming? I don't know. But I know it is coming. How, how do we find the courage to live in this post-truth culture? To tell people what they don't want to hear, but what the truth really is. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Jesus told his followers, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's Luke 6, 22. It's not if, but when. Paul was dogmatic in the scripture. He said this, All who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, listen to me, will be persecuted. Sorry. Just got persecuted for talking about that. <laughs> listen, that, that word is not all who desire to live a godly life in, in, in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. It is will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. If you don't believe me, look it up. But I'm telling you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you believe in him as your Savior, you are going to be persecuted. Over the, listen, over the first three centuries of the Christian era, it's estimated that as many as two million Christians died for their faith. Yeah, see, we live in a, in a culture and in a country where that seems unfathomable to, to you and to me. And I get that. But there have been two million Christians who, who have been killed for their faith. Christians today are the most persecuted religious body on the planet. Did you know that? Everything's changed in the last years. That was true in Christ's time, and then it kind of became not true. Christianity spread throughout the world. I mean, this country was founded on Christian values, but now everything's beginning to return back to the days of Scripture. And what we are finding out is that Christianity is the most persecuted religion on the planet right now. One scholar estimates that 90% of all people killed on the basis of their religious faith at this very moment in time are Christians. 90%. You know, if you were to ask average Joe on the street, they, I'm sure they would say, oh, Muslims. Muslims are just wiped out for their faith. But the truth is that 90% of everybody who's killed for their faith right now are Christian believers. We know Christians are being persecuted around the world. We, we hear believe, about believers being tortured in North Korea, but it happens in Africa. It happens in Russia. It happens in in every communist country and some non-communist countries. It's, it's just what's happening in our world. In our culture, one of the things that we're struggling with is we, we live in a, a culture where we get so many things and we can consume so many things that it's hard to believe that anybody's struggling right now, that any of this kind of stuff is happening. Man, you flip on the TV and it's Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube, you know, you, you've got Facebook, you've got everything. You've got this buffet of things that you can have at your fingertips, and it's just so easy. And I'm talking about me, too. I'm not just talking about you. You can do anything. And, and what that leads you and me to believe is, hey, I'm in charge of my life. You know, I, I've got the things that I want. We are told that we can have anything that we want, and we can get it if we work hard enough. And the, the reality is, is very different. Listen, the scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 8 that your adversary, 
is the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion, and he is looking for someone like you and me to devour. I told you this already, but we, we, we live in an unusual period in history. For most of our lifetimes, evangelical Christians have empowered on a significant level what's happening in American culture. We have helped, and you think about this, if, especially if you're my age, we've helped elect presidents, we've helped pass legislation, we've helped advance our beliefs, and we have seen the birth and growth of mega churches around our country. I mean, you can go to Dallas, Fort Worth, you can go to Florida, you can go to California, you can go to almost every state, almost every city, and there is some mega church that's meeting today that has thousands of people. I have a good friend that's a member of Second Baptist in Houston this morning, and this morning, Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, there'll probably be eight to 10,000 people that will worship God there. And we've seen that happen in our lifetime, and it kind of gives us this, this thought process that, hey, this is the way it is. It's good. We're building megachurches. Nothing's going to change. It's going to be like this forever. But those days are ending. Now, I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that just because it fits the narrative of what I'm trying to preach to you. I say that because I believe it with all my heart that those days are ending. Listen, you, you, you may not know this, but just the other day, you can go home and Google it, but a senator, Dick Durbin, equated Christianity with the Ku Klux Klan. He said Christianity, uh, trying to fight back against abortion, Christianity uh, uh, is a bunch of racist people, and, and basically he said we're, we're equal to the KKK. That's coming from your government, my government leaders. So what do you do? I've got five minutes. I've kind of post-holed this thing into the ground and everybody wants to walk out of here and go, let's just go home and forget about this. You know, I mean, I just made everybody miserable. But here, here's three questions. If you believe even a portion of what I've told you in even more importantly than that, I think what Scripture teaches us, especially when you look at 2 Corinthians, where I read to you what Paul went through in Acts, where I, I told you what happened after Christ was crucified and all the apostles met in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin said, you guys are making us angry, and we're getting ready to shut you down. I think that's the world that we're living in. So what do we do? How, how do we respond to this? Three things really quick. Number one, have you prepared yourself and have you helped others to be prepared to meet Jesus? Listen, th this is the hardest one for me. Evangelism and, and sharing the gospel is not a strength of mine. But the truth I have to ask myself is have I told those people that I love about the truth of Jesus Christ? Now listen, hear me. I'm not talking about the people in Ecuador, which I hope we get to go to next year. And I'm not talking about the people in Jamaica that I hope we get to go to next year. And I'm not talking about the people in Africa and the people in Laos, the people that I love very much that all need to hear the gospel and that we are told and commanded to take the gospel. And we'll talk about those people in just a second. But right now I'm talking about does your family know Jesus? Your family. 
Have you told the truth to your family? And I know I'm talking to a bunch of people who are sitting here today because they've been told the truth by their family and, and they're telling the truth to their family. But I, I just encourage you, like I've never encouraged you to before, to prepare yourself. And there may be somebody that's sitting here this morning that you're just here by happenstance. Maybe you came, you know, because you, you just happened to be with your family this week or you happen to be, you know, you, you're on a date at church maybe this morning and, and you just kind of got stuck here. And you, this wasn't in the plan, but now you're here and now you're hearing this. And the most important words you will ever hear anybody say is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know what it means to be forgiven of your sins? Do you know what it means to ask him to help you experience eternal life through the forgiveness of sins because of what he did on the cross for you at Calvary? And those words need to be driven home with us and with our family and the ones that we care about. And then you have to ask yourself, are you living the life that he wants you to live in order? So here's the three questions. One, have you prepared yourself and have you prepared your family to meet Jesus? I have a friend who's getting ready to sell his house. And I was talking to him the other day. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm stripping the stain off the, my back deck and getting it all prepared. I'm going to put new stain on it. And then we're coming into the house and we're taking up some of the old carpet and we're laying down the new carpet. And, and we're getting it all ready uh, because we're going to put it on the market in the next few weeks and we want to get it looking as good as possible. And man, when he told me that, I thought, man, what an analogy for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you really believe in him and you really think he's coming back, the question has to be, are you getting yourself prepared for him to come back? Second, are you, are you being good stewards of your time and your money? Your time, your talents, your spouse, your children, your house, your cars, and you could name everything. Do you really believe that all of that belongs to God, not to you? Do you live like he owns everything and you're just stewards of it? I, I've told you this story before. You just bear with me. And if, if you remember the story, pretend like you forgot that I told the story. But one time we were at a banquet. Uh, I, I think it was the heartbeat banquet where they try to um, fund the heartbeat agency here in town that tries to prevent young women from doing abortions and, and having their children and either keeping their children or giving them up for adoption. That's a big deal to us, uh, Laura and I, especially because of Ashley and what she means to us and how she came to us through adoption. So uh, I have lots of friends who are on the heartbeat board and so we go every year and we support it and we were there like the first or second year uh, that it was happening. They've been doing this for like 30 years, but I'll never forget this. It was like 25 or 30 years ago, and they came down to the end like they always do at a banquet like that, and they basically said, you know, we're here because we need some money, and we, we, we need to keep the heartbeat uh, agency going, and the only way we can do that is through your support. And so, you know, if you would take out and, you know, just take a moment and write a check that, you know, a generous check that you can give that would help support us through the year. And Laura and I, this, 
I'm, I'm just telling you stuff that you don't care about. But Laura and I were holding hands under the table, and, and we were squeezing each other's hands. And, you know, and Laura said, I want to give something. And I said, I want to give something, too. And she said, okay. And she said, I was thinking $250, and I just sunk because I was thinking $50. <laughs> I literally turned to her and said, I was thinking $50. I thought that was like big time generous, you know? And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, how am I ever going to win this one? I, there's no, can we meet in the middle like $75 maybe or something like that? You know? And, you know, I'm thinking just like every other guy is thinking probably, or maybe the woman, who, who knows. But I'm thinking if we do 50, then I've still got 50 left for this or 50 left for that. And the truth is we wrote a check for 250 bucks, and we still had money left to do whatever we wanted to do. And it was just a reminder to me that it's not my money anyhow. Uh, I tell you what, in you're going to take this the wrong way, and I really don't care. <laughs> but because it's going to make Laura and I sound like we're ginormous givers, and we could give a thousand times more than we give right now. But I will tell you this the more we give, the more joy I get every time. Uh, it's, just, it's just joyful to be a giver, and uh, it's not my money. And we live in a nice home and drive nice cars, and God still gives us money to give, plenty of money to give, and we ought to give more. Last thing is this. Have you prepared yourself? Are you being good stewards? And last thing is this. Are you living your life in expectancy? Now listen to this. I love this. Preparedness. When you're prepared, you're getting ready for his return. Stewardship is being faithful of the things that he's giving you until he returns. Expectancy is looking forward with great anticipation and eagerness for his return. Expectancy, I love this. I, I didn't come up with this myself. I copied this, but I love this. Expectancy shows the degree to which you are in love with Jesus. Do you love Jesus so much that you can't wait to see him? I thought about this the other day. So Laura's been gone since uh, Tuesday. She went to go help uh, Evan and Kristen because our grandson had a small little surgery on Wednesday and then she drove to Austin to go help our niece and yesterday she came home and I, I don't know if it's age or I mean I always miss Laura but I miss Laura a lot more now that we've been married 38 years and, and everything it's just everything has changed in our relationship, but one of the things that changed the most is I miss her when she's gone. And we have this app on the phone where we can track each other, you know? And so I was on the phone and I was mad at about 11 or 12 o'clock yesterday because she hadn't left yet. And I was just going, when are you leaving? When are you leaving? And then I got on the phone about 1.30 or 2 o'clock and I looked and she was driving toward Nacogdoches and my heart just went, whoa, she's going to be here in a few hours. And then she got home, and I was so glad to see her. And I thought about that. I thought about last night when she was coming home. I was so expectant waiting for her to come home. I could not wait. And she'd been gone five days. 
And I've been in love with Jesus since I was a seven-year-old boy. When I asked him to come into my life and change my life, and I started following him from that day, and he's been gone for 2,000 years. And I cannot wait for him to come back. I'm so excited about that. Listen, Titus 2.13 says this, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. One day he's coming. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be prepared for your coming, and we want to be good stewards of what you've given us. But Father, we cannot wait for you to come back. We look forward with great anticipation to the day when you will come and receive us to that great feast in Zion that Jason and Christina sang about. God, until that day comes, will you help us to be faithful speakers of the truth we love you, Jesus. We are so thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. As we come to a time, Father, where we will sing to you, may it be a sweet sound in your ear. And may you hear the love of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, Jason's going to lead us again as we sing and we worship the Lord. I pray that you would find your heart open to whatever he's been teaching this morning. If you need to respond, there'll be somebody here who can speak with you at the front. Maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer where you're at. You're more than welcome to do that. Maybe you want to come to the front and pray. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart, I pray that he gives you the courage and strength to respond the way that you need to respond this morning as we stand together and as we sing with Jason and Christina. Loving. Loving is the Lord. Compassion flows from His heart. Mercy is His name. His love will reign. His love Heart of stone, heart of stone to heart of flesh. 
standing just uh, need to make sure that you're aware of it and remember that we have a celebration today for Jason and Jessica as they're just a few weeks away from having a new baby and we're very excited for that so we have a, a couple shower that's for them and it's at 1:30. is that right Laura 1:30 and 1 in the fellowship hall and uh, it's just kind of a come and go and enjoy and and celebrate uh, their new baby that's coming uh, in just a few weeks. So I want to make you aware of that. I've already told you about next week with July 4th and everything. You can look in the bulletin for other announcements, but I look forward to you having a wonderful week. I hope you stay safe uh, get to celebrate the Lord uh, this week and get to celebrate our great country and uh, pray for our country this week too. Thanks as always for being here, for listening so attentively. I love you very much. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and bring you peace. You're dismissed.